Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Today Explained. I'm Noelle King. It's an older tool of communication. The way Republicans and Democrats are shoving each other around down here in Washington, they'll all wind up on the spot by November. The White House request for new controls on grain for whiskey makers is considered a political cutie. Once upon a time, it united the world. Germany, the enemy who drove all Europe into war, has been finally... Overcome. Today, it's used a lot less than it was in the past. It's a backup. Sometimes it's just plain French. But when Russia made it virtually impossible for both Ukrainians and Russians to get news about the war, it found a new purpose. World news from the BBC. Several cities across Ukraine came under assault overnight. On today's show, the life and afterlife of shortwave radio. Professor David Stupples teaches electronic and radio engineering at City London University. Professor, we were struck by the fact that the BBC has decided to resume shortwave broadcasts in Russia and Ukraine. What did you think when you heard that news? Uh, well, I was delighted because the BBC uh, would normally put its broadcasts or some of its broadcasts out online as, as you are and that can be blocked out by uh, Russia or turned off by Russia. But uh, blocking off an HF transmission, which is in the shortwave, uh, would, would be uh, more or less impossible. A shortwave transmission is basically a transmission that would go anywhere around the world, uh, depending on which frequency it is, uh, because what happens is that the uh, radio wave uh, bounces off a, a part of the atmosphere, called the ionosphere, um, and it would just skip its way around the world. So it, it's a worldwide broadcast um, and uh, anyone can hear it. Whereas the medium wave, which is a lower band, it will suffer from um, loss of power over long distances the shortwave band from a BBC's point of view to be able to get to all those people in Russia and in fact anywhere around the world is a good transmission medium. How is the information transmitted exactly? So it, it, its, its name is a carrier wave so it carries the audio or music um, or whatever and then at the other end the, uh, the receiver will take off the modulated part from the carrier and you'll be able to hear it. As a shortwave leaves its point of origin, what does it look like going out into the world? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> I wish I could see it, but it's an electromagnetic wave. So it is a radio wave. It leaves an antenna, uh, an aerial antenna, uh, and it's transmitted uh, into uh, the ether. It is everywhere. It's 
all in the atmosphere. It isn't just a beam, it's everywhere. Huh. So uh, if you're, you're sitting around in, in, uh, in Russia uh, with your radio, shortwave radio, with, a, with an antenna sticking up, you'll be able to pick up this, this communications. That is fascinating and, and makes me wonder something else. So it is the year of our Lord 2022, and most things are being done on the Internet. And so I'm thinking of people in Ukraine and Russia and wondering whether this will be accessible to them. Do they, will people need to have special radios to receive that shortwave signal? Many people have HF radios, uh, and they will have them on multiband. So they'll have medium wave, high frequency, which is the shortwave wave and then VHF. So these will be able to pick up um, radio stations on any of those bands. If people could remember what frequencies they were being transmitted on, they could certainly um, receive it. And if they're, if they're being broadcast and you're receiving it, nobody would know you're listening to the BBC. Is it the case that people in Ukraine and Russia have radios just because of the way life has gone in Ukraine and Russia, that they were less that they are less connected to the internet? Like, what? why the assumption that people will have these in their homes? Well, I think if people live in cities, it would be very easy to get onto the internet. I have internet radios as well. Um, but I also have uh, other types of radio, as you might well imagine I do. Um, and um, a lot of people in Russia, because they may not be connected to the internet, the ones in, in, the, in the remote districts, uh, they would probably have these radio sets as well. And if someone in Ukraine or Russia is tuning into that shortwave radio broadcast, what will it sound like? Will it be clear? Just like you and I talking now. Really? Clear enough, I would say. Welcome to News Hour from the BBC World Service. I'm James Kimarasamy. On day five of Russia's invasion of Ukraine... That's if it's not being interfered with by the state. ...who's taken up arms to defend his country. First, there are gunshots. Then there are screams of victims. And then you understand that, OK, this is real. The UN says that but normally, the BBC broadcasts are very high quality. We're ashamed. I never thought we'd be in this situation. We were normal people. We had jobs, schools, a normal family. Let me take you back in time and ask you who invented this remarkable thing, shortwave radio. Who, who is responsible for it? The real practical side of this was done by Marconi in uh, the uh, turn of the century. Uh, not this century, the last century. Um, and um, where he transmitted a, uh, a signal from the UK to Newfoundland. And that was the first of the long-range radio transmissions. And from that came very, very quickly uh, radios that we use with Morse code in a very short space of time from uh, Marconi's, if you like, first practical demonstration of this. We then had uh, good radios. The Marconi you're referring to is Guglielmo Marconi, the Italian. Well, the very same. <laughs> I named my dog after him. Ah. Guglielmo King is his name. And what a fine name you should give a dog. Um, uh, <laughs> and you should put a little antenna on his, his head. As a as a radio professional, it seemed the only it seemed the only appropriate name for my very loud dog. Um, I want to go back to the early days. Who would have owned them? Who would have been listening to them? Was it like televisions in the beginning, where only a select few had them? The transmission of them were mainly state owned, so therefore they they, they would broadcast news and and uh, foreign affairs. This is Moscow. Good evening, everybody. 
You are tuned to the North American service of Radio Moscow. This first part has to do with the titanic struggle for supremacy between the East and West. Companies would own them, like shipping companies, um, and also um, in the early days of aviation, they would have had them as well. So these radios were, uh, um, the transmission side were privately owned, but then the home radios, uh, people were starting to buy from uh, the mid-1920s um, and uh, onwards. Um, and they became, if you like, like the uh, um, dining room table. Everybody had to have one. Is it fair to say that the shortwave broadcasts decades ago were a lot like the Internet in the way that people around the world could all be listening to the same thing and accessing the same information? It was and still is in major parts of the world. The only way that people listen, get, receive news, information, government broadcasts or music uh, or discussion programs. Radio is probably the primary source still, although the internet is um, becoming as popular. What, to your mind, is the significance of the BBC restarting shortwave broadcasts in this region? What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that, the, um, that Russia, in this particular case, was blocking off the, the uh, transmissions uh, through the internet. Uh, and it can do that because it controls the internet once it's in Russia. Now, in uh, Ukraine, uh, what the um, the Russians did there was um, take out the radio broadcasts from the state, uh, as you saw on television. Uh, they they hit the towers with with missiles and destroyed that. Russian forces have attacked a TV tower in Ukraine's capital. The Kiev Independent says TV channels have stopped broadcasting. This comes hours after Russia warned it would attack facilities in Kiev they would have certainly destroyed a lot of the internet in, in mm -hmm. Ukraine as well. So the only way that we can get news and, and uh, briefings and, and instructions to the people is via radio. And that is, is, is uh, um, omnipresent. And that's the reason that we will never ever leave radio because it is in fact an omnipresent source. And once the electromagnetic wave is in the, in the ether, the atmosphere, uh, it is gonna, uh, if it's got enough power, it will get to your antenna and you'll be able to listen to it. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine. And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to speak, to associate, and to defend the causes that were for the moment unpopular. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good night and good luck. Professor David Stupples in London. So you were in the Royal Air Force in the 1970s as a radio man. What was your job exactly? I dealt with electronic warfare, um, which is using radio to fight with. How does one use radio to fight with? I'm not sure if you're talking about propaganda or something a bit different. Well, both, actually. Ah. I can jam uh, radars, I can jam missile systems, uh, I can jam satellite communication systems, jam the navigation systems, jamming them in such a way that they can't be used. Uh, but 
if you wanted to spy on the nation, then you would do this through, through radio. How would that work? Well, see, I would just listen to all of their broadcasts. And, and there was no way for the Soviet Union to block you from doing that? No. Because of shortwave? Once, once the radio wave or electromagnetic wave gets in the ether, it goes everywhere. How were spies using shortwave during the time of the Cold War? That comes back to our communications, because there was no internet. How would you communicate with uh, agents or spies, as you call them? But let, 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 let's be kind and call them agents. Because uh, you can't go up and knock at their door and say, we've got a message for you. What you would then have is these, and it comes back to your shortwave radios again, a shortwave radio transmitting uh, information worldwide to agents. Now, if I'm transmitting to uh, my um, agent in, somewhere in, in uh, the Soviet Union or somewhere in East Germany, what I would then do is transmit the information in code. So after a startup piece of music, which actually tells the agent that we're on the air, uh, we'll then send out a set of numbers which actually said this message is for agent, whatever agent number is, is receiving this. Three, nine, seven, one, five. Three, nine, seven, one. That's followed by coded messages in numbers. Um, and these numbers would then be uh, translated by the, the agent uh, using a, a, a a one-time pad, which is a, an encryption method, um, and they would get a message. The message might be short and say, uh, there is a message in your Dropbox, or it may be long by giving the, the um, agent some uh, instruction. Um, but it's m more than likely it's telling him that there's a message in the Dropbox. So what they would do is have a special, have a place in, in the, behind a tree. Oh! If you looked at some of your uh, spies that have been working in the United States, uh, uh, they, they use drop boxes by, to pick up messages and also send uh, information back. Uh, and the Russians were very, um, during the Second World War, uh, were using this method to communicate with uh, Russian spies that were in the US. Because of the method of communication, uh, where the agent was lo located was not known, and they could never find that out by, by the communications, because it was a one-way communication to the agent. The transmitter was in uh, somewhere. Uh, it, it would transmit worldwide, so therefore the agent would be able to uh, listen to the, the uh, message. The authorities would never know where the agent was. From what I've read about life in the Soviet Union, behind the Iron Curtain, one of the big problems was misinformation, right? The Soviet Union not being honest with its people about what was going on. Uh, they were receiving a lot of propaganda, a lot of propaganda coming from the top. Was the BBC doing that too? How did that work? That's precisely what the BBC World Service was doing. But, 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 but let's put the blame somewhere else as well, because the Voice of America did the same thing. Wherever you may be listening to this broadcast, remember this. The people of the United States extend the hand of friendship to you across the seas. Depends on whether you, what, what you call propaganda, um, but the, 
they would certainly try to tell the truth um, uh, to the the Soviet Union, the Soviet people at that time. Uh, and of course, the, the Soviet Union was nearly all of the Eastern Bloc countries. Uh, and so therefore they would broadcast in Russian, German, Polish, uh, Czech and Slovakian and, and several of the Arab languages that are used within the, um, the Soviet Union as well. So uh, they would broadcast in all of those languages. Uh, and uh, they would then um, give news and um, uh, current affairs programs and I believe try to tell the truth, but I'm sure that there was a degree of propaganda on both sides. So the BBC World Service, broadcasting now in shortwave, is going to be sending straight news into Russia and Ukraine. Can you talk about the importance of the BBC taking this decision to begin shortwave broadcasts again in in Russia and Ukraine? I think it's an admirable decision. We know in Russia and probably in other parts of the world as well, that they control the media, but they will also control the internet. And if they found that stations were broadcasting to their nation, that, that uh, were giving information to their population, their people, that they didn't want the people to have, then they could certainly use the internet to block that. Uh, with radio, uh, they can't do that. They, they could jam the radio, in other words, put a whole bunch of noise up there so that you, you, so you couldn't hear this on your radio. But that's difficult to do all of the time because the human ear and the human brain is very good at picking out uh, speech from, from what is, is, is noise. Uh, people will be able to listen to that. And since you can't stop waves traveling on the electromagnetic on the ether, it's impossible to stop them. You can't put a brick wall up. They get there, whatever happens. Censorship then becomes exceedingly difficult. If we want to get information to the Russian people that, uh, and to the Ukrainian people for, from the point of view of, of, of trying to uh, bolster their, their um, confidence, uh, then we would do, th do this through radio. It's the sure means of getting it through. It sounds like reports of the death of radio are greatly exaggerated, and we're learning that now. If I want to communicate to people in other parts of the world, um, especially in times of conflict as we have now, uh, then I would do that through the shortwave, which cannot be stopped. Professor David Stupples in London. Today's show was produced by Victoria Chamberlain, edited by Matthew Collette, engineered by Afim Shapiro, and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. I'm Noelle King. It's Today Explained.
Yeah, I'm Google.